This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. I'd like to say I'm thankful that I could be with you again this morning. We've been here a couple of times. It's kind of been a little bit, a little while, so I'm glad that we could come back and worship with you, and I could present another portion of God's Word. I'd like to thank you for the prayers on my behalf, and it's my prayer that the things that we study this morning will be in strict accordance to God's Word, and also it'll be useful to you and beneficial as we continue our Christian walk together. For a little while this morning, I want to talk about God's model for handling stress. When we think about, uh, we live in America, and we think that we're, you know, arguably one of the most economic rich places in, in the world, and we have a lot of uh, blessings that a lot of people in other countries don't have. Um, and yet, when you look at most Americans, most Americans today are really stressed. We've got a couple of things that we're going to look at. Let me start from the beginning instead of the end. So when you look at uh, this recent survey of Americas, this was done a few months ago that I looked up. They show that 84% of Americans reported feeling stressed. That's up 6% from this time a year ago. So 84%, and this is going to be like on a weekly basis. They surveyed a couple thousand individuals, and they figured out about 84% were stressed. And this is not just one demographic. This is all all different age groups. You can see that Gen Z is 18 to 25-year-olds. That's 95% of them. 95% of 18 to 25-year-olds. Now, us who are older than that group, we look back at 18 to 25 and like, what in the world do you have to be stressed about? And yet, 95% of them reported that they were stressed. In millennials, that's 26 to 41-year-olds, 92% of those said that they were stressed on a weekly basis. Gen X is 87%, and the baby boomer generation is 68%. So you can see that all age groups reported feeling stressed on a weekly basis, that there was something in their life that was causing stress. This survey went on to show, like, well, what are some of these things that cause stress in our life? If you can see on this screen, it might be a little bit hard to see, but you can see the number one stressor in people's lives is money in America. 32% of people said that they were stressed about their finances or money. And this could be maybe their money situation right now, but it could be maybe a retirement that they're looking forward to. Maybe they feel like they don't have enough of a nest egg or something like that. But 32% said that they were, were stressed about money. And when we look at, once again, America is a, an extremely bountiful country that we live in. We all have everything that we need, and yet 32% of us still say that we're stressed about money. Another top one is work, 11%. Mental health, physical health, family, world news. World news stresses 7% of the people out. That's one of the top stressors. You know, there's a lot of things that, that we tend to stress about that we have absolutely no control over like world news. You have no control over the world news, and yet that tends to, to stress people out. The coronavirus, pan, uh, coronavirus pandemic, politics, uh, housing, friendships, some of these are the top things that tend to cause people to stress. Another thing that we look at is sometimes people. People can be some of the top stressors in your life, and that survey went on to say 14%, which was the top stressor, is people's spouse or their partner. Someone that you're supposed to love the most and, and feel like they love you the most is yet the most stressful people in your life. Your boss, your parents, your kids, other family members, someone else. So we have these different people in our life that stressors. This time of year, we're in the holiday season. 
Sometimes we're going to go see family members that you don't get to see very often. Sometimes that can be more stressful than other times. So we have these different things in our life that are just really stressful. And when we think about it, this stress that we have in America and really across the world, this stress really leads to severe problems. You can ask anybody in the medical field, and they'll say that stress will lead to, to higher blood pressure. It leads to more medication, heart attacks, depression, anxiety. It leads to so much other things that this stress causes in our life. And that's just on the physical side. On the spiritual side, we see a lot of problems as well. Spiritually, we see people falling into lives of sin. We see people falling to temptation that they wouldn't otherwise if they weren't stressed. We see fornication, drunkenness, adultery, lack of self-control, falling into addictions. We see a lot of these spiritual problems as well because stress in our life. You know, you can look in any bookstore. You can go on and listen to podcasts. And there's no shortage of instructions of people teaching you how to overcome stress in your life or how to be more stress-free. It's all over the place. And I've listened to some of them. Some of them have good education. They teach you some, some proper ways that you can overcome stress. And some of them, quite frankly, are terrible. And you should not take that advice. So for a little while this morning, I want to look at God's model for handling stress. You know, God has given us everything that we need to overcome things in this life. If we look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. God has given us everything that we need. He's given us all the answers, including his model of how we can handle stress. So for a little while today, I want to look at not what the world teaches us as how to overcome stress in our life, but what does God teach us? What is his way to overcome stress in our life? What is something that we know that we can stand upon and we can fall back on that model and we will be able to overcome these things? So this model comes from Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in, the verse, in verse 6. It says, Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, Think on these things, and those things which ye have both learned, and received, and heard, and seen in me, do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Here's God's model that we're going to look at this morning. We've broken this model down into six different things. So here's the God's model broken down. Number one, be careful for nothing. We're going to look at what that really means. Number two is go to God in prayer and supplication. Number three is with thanksgiving, with gratitude. Number four is we're going to talk about mindset. Number five, put the things that you know to do into action. It's not enough just to think upon them. You actually have to apply them. And number six is stay focused on your mission. Here's God's model that we're going to be looking at this morning of how we can overcome stress in our lives. So for a little while today, I want you to think about what are some things that have stressed you out over the last week or so. 84% in this room, statistically speaking, have had stress in your life over the last week. What is it? What has caused you to be stressed over this last week? And we're going to, by the end of this lesson, you're going to have God's model that you can apply to your life that you can overcome that stress. So let's go ahead and get started. The first thing is be careful for nothing. 
That word careful there means to be anxious, be overly anxious or to be full of care. If we look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, it says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, or what you shall drink, nor for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than raiment, and the or life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather in the barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Jesus is teaching us here that God takes care of everything that he's created, including you. God has created you, and he loves you, and he cares for you, so we don't have to worry about making sure that we always have these things in our life. Remember that 32% of people were stressed about money, and God says, don't worry about it. I got your back. And Jesus reminds us of that, is we don't have to worry about the things that are coming up. If we look, continue on in verse 31 through 33, Jesus says again, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall ye eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall ye be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that ye need these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. God promises us that we will have everything that we need as long as we're seeking first his kingdom, which is the church, and seeking his righteousness. That we're doing the things that he, he wants us to do. He will bless us richly, and he has blessed us richly. When you really think about your life, you have everything that you need and so much more in abundance. So we don't have to worry about these things. Remember when we look at uh, the parable of the sower, you, you think of the parable of the sower, and it had the four different groups where the seed was sown, and, and some obeyed, and some didn't obey, and some got choked out. Remember that the top stressor was money. If we look at that in Mark chapter 4, we're going to look a little bit about the parable of the sower. There was one group. Mark chapter 4 and verse 3, it says, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. Verse 7, it says, And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up, and it choked it, and it yielded no fruit. Now let's look and see who that group was. And it explains in verse 18 and 19. It says, And these are those, and these are they which are sown among the thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. You know, we've all seen it. There's people that they'll come in, they'll obey the gospel, they'll take it, and they love it, and then they fall after the things of the world again. And there's three things that it says there in verse 19. It says the cares of the world, they get too overcome with things of this world, or the deceitfulness of riches. Remember, 32% of us said that we're stressed about money. We have to be careful of that. There is a deceitfulness of riches that we think if we had more money, if we think if we had something, that it's going to solve our problems, and that's deceitful. And God tells us that we've we got to be careful of those things. And then the third thing, the lust of other things. Sometimes it's other materials, it's possessions that tends to cause our attention, that we want to follow after and follow, follow these things, the, the lust of other things that come in. Those three things can come in and they can choke the word out of your heart. So we have to be careful for those things. Instead of getting stressed about wanting to accumulate these things and wanting to get them, remember that they could be deceitful and they could be pulling you further away. So that is all about be careful for nothing. In Philippians, it continues on and says, instead of being so concerned about these things and full of care and anxiety, instead, go to God with prayer and supplication and let your requests be made known to him. Now, this word supplication, we don't use very much. Of course, we know what prayer means. You go to God, you communicate with him. But supplication is not something that we use in our everyday language. And what that means, supplication just means to ask what you want or what you need from God. So to go to him and ask him the things that you need. 
So what God's telling us here is instead of being so consumed and so full of care with things that we think we need, whether we really need them or not, instead of doing that, just go to God and ask him. Just ask him what we need. In Psalms chapter 55, verse 22, it says, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. God tells us that he wants us to cast our burdens upon him. Instead of taking it upon ourselves to go accumulate these things and get these things that we think we need, just ask him for it. Just cast your burdens upon him. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8, it says, Jesus said, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And him that knocketh, it shall be opened to you. So God knows what we need, and he wants us to go ask for him. He knows that we need these things. He knows we need food, we need raiment, we need shelter, we need protection. He knows that, and he wants us to put our trust in him instead of putting our trust in ourselves to go find these things and get them. If we look at James chapter 5, verse 13, it says, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing songs. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. Here are some different tools that James has given us that we can use when some of these things that stress us out come in our lives. Are you afflicted with something? Is something going on that's really bothering you? James says, go to God in prayer. Are you sick? Are you spiritually sick or physically sick? Do you need help from the church? Go to the elders. Let them help you out. God has given us some of these tools that we can use so we can overcome these, these stressful things in our lives. And we need to be able to use them. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Cast all your care upon him, for he careth for you. I want you to think about that for a second. God cares for you. Now, sometimes this is easy for us to say to other people. We can easily go to other people who they got trouble in their life, or they've got something going on that maybe stress them out. It's like, it's okay. God cares for you. God loves you. But I want you to just think for a second and turn that a little bit. Say in your mind, God cares for me too. God loves me. And he really does. So when you have these things in your life, God wants you to cast your burdens upon him because he cares for you. He wants to take care of you. He wants you to trust in him so that he can show that he will, he will take care of you. He's got your back. So be careful for nothing. Don't get overly anxious for things, but instead go to God in prayer and ask him what you need. And then the third thing it says there is with thanksgiving. I can't tell you how many years I've read through these verses. And, the, and finally, one day, that really stuck out to me. With thanksgiving. It says, go to God in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And so many times I just read over that and never paid any attention. But those two little words are so important. With thanksgiving tells us to count our blessings. To remember the things that God has already given us. Remember the things that we should be grateful for. Colossians chapter 1 verse 11 and 12 says, Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. That phrase there, had made us meet, that means God has qualified us. He has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light. So when we give thanks, this is one thing that we all as Christians can be thankful for. We can be thankful that God has qualified us, that we can, be, we can have this inheritance with the other saints. 
that we can have our brothers and sisters, that we can have that inheritance of eternal home with him. And we should be giving thanks. Now remember a little bit ago, I told you to think about the things that are stressing you out over the last week. Are you still thinking about it? How does that compare to the inheritance that you have coming up? It's not worthy to be compared, is it? If we look at James chapter 1, verse 17, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And it cometh down from the Father of lights, with, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Everything that you have in your life, every good thing, every good relationship you have, your job, your house, your means of transportation, the food, everything that you have is a gift from God and that we should be thankful for. So remember, when you're going to God in prayer, when you're asking him the things that you need, don't forget to thank him for the things that he's already given you. It's amazing that when you focus time on gratitude, when you really think about the things that you're grateful for and you have thanksgiving, the things that are stressing you out in your life, they just seem to vanish away when you're really focused on all these positive good things that you have. In 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18, it says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Everything give thanks. Even the challenges that you're facing, those challenges are helping you make you stronger. I've talked to a brother recently. He, he started worshiping with us uh, probably seven or eight months ago in our congregation. And he had a really troubled past. He had some really hard things that he had to go through. Some were his choices, and he had to deal with the consequences of. But he had a really troubled way of life before he became a Christian. He's since overcome that. He's since changed his life. And now he's thankful for that life that he went through because it puts him in a unique position that he can help other people who's going through the same thing. So sometimes when we think about these things that are stressing us out in our life, we can be grateful for those as well because they're setting you up to put you in a position to help somebody else. As long as you win and as long as you triumph from God, you will overcome those things and then you will be able to help other people as well. God wants us to focus more on gratitude and focus on the blessings that he's given us instead of worrying about the problems and trying to solve them ourselves. Give God the problems. Give them to him and focus on the gratitude and blessings that he's already given you. The next thing we're going to look at is focus on your mindset. We talk a lot about mindset. If you listen to podcasts or you read books, a lot of people will say mindset is key and focus on the, the right things. It's really key. And God tells us that Philippians chapter 4, it says, Finally, brother, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. God is directing us to put our mind and put our attention on positive things. Look through this list. These few things here, they're all positive. They're pure, they're honest, they're lovely, good report, they have virtue. These are all good things, and this is where he wants us to think, to put our mind and attention to. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, it says, Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. That word affection is interesting. When you look up that word in the Thayers, it means to direct one's mind to a thing, to seek, to strive for, to seek one's interest or advantage. This word affection is the same word used in verse 8 in Philippians 4 as, as virtue, as mind. So this is what God wants us to put our attention towards, is to think upon the positive things. So think about the things in your life. What are some of the things stressing you? 
Is it the, the negative political news that we read about, that we saw in the study? Is it the world news that's going on that stresses people out? Turn it off. Put on something positive. Read your Bible instead. Go spend time with brothers and sisters in Christ. So there's a lot of, of tools and there's a lot of things that God has given us. And one of it is the ability to choose what we put in front of our mind. Is you have the opportunity to choose positive things. To choose good things in your life. And God wants you to do that. He wants you to put positive things in your life. And it's amazing how the world news doesn't bother you when you're not paying attention to the world news. I don't know what's happening in the world news. Right? It doesn't stress me out. And when it, it's amazing what happens when a lot of people get so upset about political changes going on. You don't know what's going on in political changes. It doesn't tend to stress you out. So God gives you this opportunity that you can focus on positive and good things. Now, focusing on, on positive and good things, that's not quite enough. That's a good step, but it's not everything. We also have to put it into action. We have to put into practice the things that we know to do. If you look at that next verse in Philippians 4, verse 9, it says, Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Paul is writing to the church of Philippi here, and he's telling them here to focus on the good things, cast your burdens upon the Lord, focus with gratitude, think about all the good things, and you actually have to do what we're taught to do as Christians. That two-letter word is a really big two-letter word, is put it into action. You actually do have to change your life. You actually do have to act differently and be differently as a Christian. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus is teaching us here about two men who built a house. And we've read the parable before, and we're going to read it again. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, it says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken unto him a wise man which built his house upon a rock. The rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Jesus gives us two contrasting people. They both built a house. They both heard what Jesus said. The only difference was one applied it. They did what Jesus said. And the other party did not do what Jesus said. They both had stress in their life. It says the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and it beat upon that house. Do you think that's stressful? It's stressful. There's different things coming at you. There's, there's hardships. There's uh, trials and tribulations and all these things coming at you. The one who didn't fall is the one who applied Jesus' teaching. The ones who did fall heard Jesus' teaching just like the other guy, but didn't apply it. So when Paul tells us that we actually have to do the things that, that God has taught us to do, we actually do have to do those things. We actually do have to apply them to our lives. And then you will be able to withstand any stress that's in your life. You will be able to overcome it. So when we look at these different things, we can see to be careful for nothing. And instead, go to God in prayer with thanksgiving. Think upon positive things and apply them to our life. The next thing we're going to look at, stay focused on your mission. We all have a mission as Christians today. When you're staying focused on your mission, we don't let the distractions of this world get off track. 
then it's amazing how t things tend to not stress us out that are really vain and really don't matter as long as you stay focused on your, on your mission. We have an example of this of someone who was really struggling with staying focused on their mission in 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, we're going to talk about a prophet by the name of Elijah. Now, Elijah was one of the great prophets in the Old Testament. A lot of us have heard about him. We've read stories about what he was able to accomplish, but he struggled as well. There were things that he had a hard time. 1, Corinthians, or 1 Kings 19 in verse 4, talking about Elijah, says, He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and he sat down upon a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruse of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came unto him the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went and went in the strength of the meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. So Elijah was on this mission. He was told to go to this place and go preach about God. Go turn the Israelites, get them to follow back after God's cause and follow after his will. And Elijah was doing that, but Elijah was coming up against some resi resistance. People didn't want to listen to him. They didn't want to follow. So he goes here and it says that he sat down under a juniper tree. He was tired and he just requested that he should die. I don't know if anybody in this room has ever felt that way. I haven't. But this is what we would typically call signs of, of very severe depression. Is that you're just ready to end it all. You're, you're done. Ready for God to just take you away, get out of this world, solve all your problems, and just, just be done with all this. So he was ready to die. Now what God did is God sent an angel. And the angel came and he gave him something to eat. And he told him to lay down and, and take a nap. And sometimes when we have all of these stressful things in our lives, sometimes the simple but yet true answer is sometimes you just need a snack and a nap. And that can tend to help you out more than anything. He did that twice. So Elijah took a nap twice. The angel fed him twice. And then he said, okay, now get up and continue on with your journey. So God listened to him. He listened to his complaints. He listened to what he needed. Gave him really what he truly needed was a snack and a nap and said, now get back to work. Let's go do what we're supposed to do. So Elijah continues on. Says, okay, he's going to get up. And he goes out for 40 days and 40 nights and he continues on his journey. Then it happens again. He gets a little bit tired again. To continue on in verse 9 through 11, it says, And he came thither unto a cave and he lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. They've thrown down thine altars and have slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and send upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in an earthquake. So Elijah continues on his journey. He goes for another 40 days and 40 nights, and, and that snack finally wore off, and he got tired again. So then he goes and he hides in a mountain. 
And I don't know if any of you have ever felt this way where you're going out and you feel like you're doing what you need to for God's word. You're preaching the gospel. You're trying to help people overcome their problems, overcome their sin in their life. And they're just not getting it. They're just not doing what they need to do. And they're choosing that life of sin instead of choosing after following after God. That can be so discouraging. That can be so hard to try to help people that it seems like you want them to have a better life more than they want a better life for themselves. And that's how Elijah was feeling at this time. He was going, and these Israelites, they didn't want to follow after God. They didn't want to listen to him. In fact, they were killing the prophets, and they were going to try to kill Elijah as well. He was so distraught. He was so tired. So what he decided to do is, you know, I'm just going to go on this mountain and forget all these people. You know, God, you take care of them. I'm going, and I'm going to go hide away in myself. But God knows that isolation is a really bad place for people to be. And that's what Elijah was doing. He was going and he was trying to isolate himself from all these other people and to stop focus on his mission. And he was going to go and he was just going to hide away and let somebody else deal with the problem. Let somebody else take care of it. But God goes to him and says, what are you doing in this, this cave, Elijah? Get back up and get to work. Go do what I've told you to do. Elijah said, I'm the only one left. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Feel like you're the only one left who's doing the right thing and nobody else around you. Well, look around this room this morning. You're not the only one left. You've got brothers and sisters here in this room and all across the world that they're following after God as well. Elijah felt like he was the only one. And sometimes God has a bigger vision in play than we can possibly imagine because us as, as feeble humans, we can't see the whole picture that God can see. It's just not possible for us to be able to see everything. If you continue on in verse 18, God says, Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel. All the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which have not kissed him. Elijah, you're not alone. There's still 7,000 people in Israel that are following after me. And I want you to go and continue on with your mission. Get back up, get out of this cave, and go to work. Go help these people. Go teach the people who are following after Baal that what they're doing is wrong, and follow after God's word again. So finally, that's what Elijah did. God gave him the encouragement that he needed, that you're not alone. There's still 7,000 people that are following after me, and I want you to go help them. So Elijah gets up, and he goes on, and he, he continues on with his mission. Now, if you continue reading on through Elijah, it was shortly after this in 1 Kings, that you can see that then Elijah becomes, and he's traveling along, and he meets this young man by the name of Elisha. Elisha was out farming in the field, and Elijah goes, and it says he cast his mantle upon Elijah, which was symbolic that he was going to take him under his wing and he was going to help him become the next, next great prophet for God. So then you have Elijah and Elisha now traveling together, working together, and helping each other. Now, would Elisha have ever become a prophet of God if Elijah never got out of that cave? Don't know. But it was critical that Elijah continued on with his mission, that he continued on with what God told him to do so that the Elisha would work with him. And then Elisha would go and, and carry on great works as a prophet as well. So remember that sometimes when you feel alone, when you feel like people don't want to go do what God wants you to do, you feel like you're the only one, you've got to remember that those people that are the top stressors in your life, that sometimes that you feel like you want more for their life than they want for their life, they're still God's creation. God still loves them just as much as he loves you. And we have a mission to go help these people. That God has called us to go do this mission. Now as New Testament Christians, Christ has laid out our mission for us very clearly. 
Matthew 28, verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. This is Jesus' mission that he has laid out for us as Christians. Go teach. Teach the world to follow after Christ. Teach them to be baptized and wash away their sins. And teach them to observe and apply all things that Christ has given us. We go teach. That's our mission. Another thing that we have as our mission is in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, But ye are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we should go spread the gospel, we should go teach people, and we are called as our mission as Christians today to show forth the praises of him who's called us out of darkness. Who's that? It's Christ. Christ has called us out of darkness. He's called you out of that life of sin into his light, into his gospel. And we should go show forth those praises in our life. How effective are you at showing forth God's praises in your life when you're so consumed with stress? You're so worried about things in your own life and you're so down and beaten down and all these things are going against you. How good are you doing at showing forth the praises of God? Now, I'm not saying these things that are stress-related are not real. Like, yeah, they're problems. But remember what we're talking about this morning. This is God's bottle of how to handle stress. This is his instructions of what we should do when these things are stressful in our life. We know when we follow through these things that we're not taking on these problems ourselves, but we're going to God in prayer with thanksgiving. We're thinking about positive things. We're applying these things in our life. We know when we do that, that we will have a peace of God with us that we honestly can't even explain. We can't explain to other people, and other people will not be able to understand, but we know that we will have this peace. Romans chapter 15, verse 13, it says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. We will have this peace. We have this peace because we believe and we have hope that we turn our home with him in heaven. It really doesn't matter how bad this world gets, because this world's not going to last forever. And we're not going to last forever in it. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that in, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Jesus tells us that in the world you will have stress. You will have hard times. It's going to be tough. And it's designed that way. So that we can focus more on him and we can be of good cheer because just as Christ overcame the world and he defeated death, you and I have the opportunity to overcome the world and defeat death as well. So we will be able to overcome it. Now, how did Christ overcome the world? How did he overcome these hard things? If we look in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says, Wherefore, seeing we are also encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So here's a few things we can learn, is let us lay aside every weight. Do you ever feel like the things that are stressing you in your life, like, man, they're just heavy. 
Like it, it weighs a lot, and it's kind of hard to carry. The writer of Hebrews is saying, set that aside. Just set it aside for a little bit. You can pick it back up later if you want to, but set it aside. Set it aside for now, and instead, let's look to Christ. Let's look to him, and let's see what he did for us. It says there, let's look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He's the one who gives us our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. The joy of going on the cross? I mean, you think about the life of Christ. You know, he has been with God forever. He was part of the creation. When you think about Christ, he was already in heaven with God the Father. And it says he came down here as a mortal man. He lived this hard life just as you and I are living. And for the joy that was set before, he endured the cross. What joy? What is joyful about going and, and getting nailed to a cross and getting mocked and getting chastised and getting your body beaten just so you could die? He didn't have to do any of that. He was already in heaven with God. The joy is that you and I have an opportunity to overcome death now. He did that for you. That was the joy. The joy was for you and I. So when we focus on these positive things and we see that we can look at Jesus, that Jesus did that for you, does that thing you set aside that was so heavy, does it seem as heavy anymore? That Jesus went and he died for you. And he died for me. So that we don't have to let the sin overcome us in our life. Romans chapter 8, verse 17 and 18, it says, And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with them, that we may also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul is writing to the church at Rome, and he's saying here, we're children of God. If you've been baptized into Christ, you've obeyed him, then you become a child of God. And if you're a child of God, then that makes you an heir of God. And that makes you a joint heir with Christ. Think about everything that Christ has. Think about all the things that, that is his, that belongs to him. And you're a joint heir with that. It belongs to you as well as Christians. Remember the top stressors that we looked in our life. Money, finances, your job, different people in your life. None of that matters. You're a joint heir with Christ. You already have way much more than those things in, in full abundance. When we think about that, then it says in verse 18 that the sufferings, the things that you're stressed about in this present life, not even worthy to be compared. They're not even be worthy to talk about in the same sentence. The things that you're stressing about in this life versus the things that God has promised you, that you turn a home with him in heaven, that you're a joint heir with Christ. You already have everything. You're the richest person that I could ever live because you're a joint heir with Christ, whether you realize it or not. So the sufferings of this present time, they're not even worthy to be compared of the things that we already have and that we're going to continue to get. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4, it says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. When we think about this anxiety and this stress, all of that comes from thinking too much in the here and now. It's thinking too much about what is right in front of you right this very minute. Whatever problems you're trying to solve, that's where stress and anxiety and depression tend to come from, is you can't see past the bigger picture. And what God is calling us to do is take a step back for a second. 
Stop focusing on this problem that you're really thinking about right now and look at the bigger picture. Set your mind on things above. Think about Christ. Think about all these things that we have. And when we do all these things, it gives us an amount of peace that we can't explain to other people. The stress is not really stress when we think about all the positive things that we have and when we think about the bigger picture that, that we're all a part of. So when we look at this model that we have, it comes from, from Philippians. This is God's model to overcome stress, is be careful for nothing. Don't, don't focus too much attention on these problems that you have, but instead go to God in prayer and supplication. Don't forget about Thanksgiving. I looked over it for many years, and that's very important. Don't, don't forget about that. Count your blessings and go to God with gratitude. Keep checking your mindset. What are you thinking about on a daily basis? Are you focusing on positive things that are good and pure and lovely? Are you focusing on problems? Are you focusing on hardships? Are you focusing on people not doing what you want them to do? Let's think about what we're thinking about. Put the things that you know to do into action. It's not just enough to think about these things, but you actually have to do them. And remember to stay focused on your mission. This is God's model for overcoming stress in your life. So whatever you thought about at the beginning of this lesson that was stressing you out over the last week, when you apply these principles and you really put it into your life, that thing that's stressing you out, it's not going to stress you out. Is it still going to be a problem? Yeah, probably, unless you've solved it already. But we know how to handle it now. We know what we can do to go make sure it's not overly consuming us. It's not really stressing us out in our life. And we've got to remember that this is our model to live by day in and day out until our time of departure is at hand. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7-8, Paul says, I've fought a good fight. He fought the good fight of overcoming stress. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. This is our call as well. Keep fighting that fight. Keep overcoming that stress. Use this model and apply it to your life so that you can show forth the praises of God who's called you out of darkness. And you can go help other people then. Show them the model as well. Show them how they can overcome. This is not just for us. This is for us to learn, to absorb, to apply, and to go teach. Focus on your mission. Go teach other people. Show them how they can overcome it as well. So if there's any here this morning that you have not become a Christian yet, you haven't given your life to Christ in baptism, you probably do have a lot of stress in your life, and rightfully so. But you can overcome that. You can overcome the sin that is besetting you, that sin that is weighing you down. You can overcome that this morning by being baptized into Christ. And I will tell you, and any Christian will tell you, the second that you come up out of that watery grave of baptism, there is not a stress in this world that weighs you down. It, it is the most peaceful feeling you can possibly have while we're here on this earth. And you can have that this morning. If you haven't been baptized into Christ, I'd encourage you to do so. To wash away that sin. Let, let God handle that. Let him take care of it. And then you can become a new creature. If there's any here that you have become a Christian and there's this stress, these things are weighing you down and you need additional help, that's what we're here for is your brothers and sisters. You have a support system all across the world, including right here in Alma, that we can help you overcome that. We can pray with you. We can study with you. We can help hold you accountable if there's different things in your life that you're trying to overcome. We can do whatever it takes to help you overcome it because we love you too, just as God does.
If there's one that you either need to be baptized into Christ or you need the prayers or help from the church for any reason at all, just come and have a seat on this front pew while we stand and sing the song. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.